This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. The 2022 midterm elections are upon us. And given the new calculus of polling since the 2016 presidential race, there is little that we can confidently predict. Still, that hasn't stopped corporate media outlets from claiming a surefire red wave in the House and even possibly in the Senate. Results are likely to not be firmed up for several days, however. And we turn in the meantime to analyst Ana Lilia Mejia to examine what's at stake for progressives in the midterm elections. Ana Lilia Mejia is the co-executive director of the Center for Popular Democracy Action, former deputy director at the U.S. Department of Labor Women's Bureau, and also former political director on Bernie Sanders' 2020 campaign. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So many people have been saying these midterm elections are unlike any others. Um, but the tradition has been that the president's party tends to lose in the midterms. I'm loath to ask you to make any predictions, but what do you think is going to happen? And feel free to answer that in any way that you can. Do those kinds of standard sensibilities hold in this very new political reality we're in today? So I, I think it's important to, you mention that, you know, first, it, midterm elections in a president's first year have historically resulted in a loss of ground um, in terms of House and Senate seats. So if we see that um, through this, this election cycle, um, it's it's pretty much in alignment with what has happened um, to previous presidents, whether it was Trump or Bill Clinton or Obama. It, it's not it wouldn't necessarily be an anomaly. Now, what we are seeing that is unprecedented are one, the caliber of the candidates that are running for office across the country, as well as the tactics to dis to essentially disengage enfranchise as many people as possible. So on one hand, you have an incredible number of, frankly, Republicans who um, either participated in the January 6th uprisings or supported or or maybe didn't even denounce the uprisings. Um, they have trafficked in what is called the big lie, the idea that, that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And as a result, you know, we have a, a lot of dangerous characters running for office across the country in pivotal races, whether it's states as secretaries of states or or governors or in the House and Senate. These are positions that that will have lasting impact. The second thing that is very much unprecedented, um, but well, actually, I take that back. History has taught us that that this is a strategy utilized to negate the power of a rising black and brown electorate. And that is the systematic disenfranchisement of communities. Republicans in state after state have either um, sued for or made moves to essentially disenfranchise people. So right now I'm in Pennsylvania um, and, and in Philadelphia, we know that there were um, hundreds of, of voters who were 
um, whose ballots were early ballots were essentially thrown out uh, because they some technicality, not an error in terms of the voting, but perhaps like a small error that is inconsequential. But as a result, all of these people who thought they had early voted have to return. So it's through these tactics and the caliber of candidates that this election really stands out for us. And that's also one of the reasons why we may not know results for a few days, right? From what I'm seeing, uh, Republicans have been encouraging their voters to show up on election day, not do early voting, and to show up specifically in some places, I believe in Georgia, in the last two hours of the voting day. And then they're going to make a big fuss about why results aren't known. So there's this bizarre, um, it seems as though setting up of the system to fail, show up, telling their voters to show up as late as possible. And then when results aren't tallied up in time, claim that there is some sort of problem, voter fraud, voting, you know, maybe election workers are up to some shenanigans as they claimed in the 2020 elections, and then claim victory. I mean, this is not just it's not, I mean, it's just, it's so bold-faced in, in, in how they're trying to steal yet again an election. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really, it, sometimes it feels incomprehensible um, how something so blatant um, can pass muster um, through with people who at the same time will say that they are holders of the constitution or believe in a democracy or even denounce um, the, the practices that we see um, in perhaps other nations or in other time periods. Um, here's, here's the bottom line for us. I think we know that the policies that really motivate people that make work work for working families, in particular wage earning women, the policies that we know will essentially save humanity and the planet and stop climate change, the policies that we know will ensure that our children, that our elders, that um, those most vulnerable in our communities have the resources that they need to not only survive, but thrive are policies that, that you know, are supported by the vast majority of people, uh, certainly policies that have been in alignment with the Democratic Party platform and most certainly policies that progressives had been advocating for for years. These are popular ideas. We've won on the ideas. And so where is the opportunity to negate that? It's by siphoning away the power of these communities. It's by drying up the resources for civic education and most certainly civic participation. It's by gaming the system that you could beat wildly popular ideas that resonate with people. If the things that keep you up at night the ability to pay your house mortgage or your rent or ensure that your children have healthy food or that you're able to sustain your job are not being talked about. And what is are these like false claims and 
I mean, it, it's message confusion, it's voter confusion, it's systemic disenfranchisement. And that's the only way that you could actually battle against popular ideas that most people want and support. Well, the Republicans might counter that they are indeed talking about these issues because they're saying inflation, inflation, inflation is the problem. And because Democrats are in charge now and inflation is a problem, therefore, this is why uh, voters should pick Republicans. I mean, they're making, you know, claims about uh, how they are not going to be the ones cutting Social Security and Medicare. But if you look at their policies, that is precisely what they have planned. So they seem to be very successfully using a sleight of hand in being able to say, yes, we care about pocketbook issues and then turn around and do exactly the opposite. But voters yeah. are not so, I mean, uh, how are voters so easily being misled? <laughs> I guess. So I think one, I, I think you're absolutely right. There is, in fact, a scope shift happening when that argument is presented. The reality is that there is a global um, economic crisis. The United States is not alone. This is a crisis that was obviously triggered by both a pandemic and and a war, the war in Ukraine. The reality is that for most people, there's so much noise in daily existence. Exactly these economic issues that Republicans fail to address um, are the same issues that are keeping people up at night, are forcing people to seek and work two, three jobs, are making it almost impossible for working families to stay afloat. And so when you're facing that kind of noise, it is very difficult to sift through all of the messaging paid for messaging, massive amounts of money that is being dropped into misinformation, essentially, um, to lead people to either believe that, that, you know, essentially to gaslight Americans to make them believe that what they see and what they feel is in fact not real, or um, to make folks like redirect their anger and their angst against communities um, that they feel different from. So I think it's it's a combination of noise, it's a combination of um, misinformation. And sadly, you know, the the infrastructures and places where people would gather in community and get information from their peers is is drying up um, more and more. Republicans have already said that among the first things they'll do when they sweep the House and take control is to secure the border, which, of course, is coded language for attacking undocumented immigrants. Um, now, uh, what about the That's coded language to attack any person of color? Yeah, because. The reality is that if you are targeted, if you're driving down a country road and you are targeted because you're brown, it won't matter that you have uh, that you were born in this nation. I am I am a great example. I was born and raised in this nation. My parents immigrated to this country, but I am cognizant that when people look at me or perhaps hear me speak, they, there are some assumptions that are being made. And that, that kind of animosity and animus has been fueled by, sadly, our, the previous president. And, and it's a strategy that is 
a century in the making. This idea of cleaving communities apart, of creating difference between white voters and black voters or, or brown voters, this is not new. This has been happening in our nation, frankly, from its inception all the way through you know, the Civil War, Reconstruction, the 60s, the 80s, the 90s, and now. Among the other ways in which Republicans are trying to cheat their way into political power, uh, we didn't mention overt voter intimidation. I mean, that used to be illegal, but we're seeing in places like Arizona where there are armed vigilantes of the ilk that we saw on January 6th in the uh, nation's capital who are patrolling near ballot boxes. Um, and we're also seeing the judiciary kind of shrug its shoulders because the Republicans have successfully made the judiciary or, or, or you know, uh, managed to change the ju judiciary so that it's an ins pocket. Uh, which seems as though we've sort of lost those checks and balances that we used to have. That's actually um, spot on. Um, I will say, you know, I don't want to actually blame the entirety of the Republican Party and in particular Republican voters. I think they are also being led astray by by bad actors within their quote unquote ranks who are willing to support authoritarianism, fascism, disenfranchisement, undermined the constitution and dismantle the three-legged stool that is American democracy. I mean, as a child, I was taught you have three branches of government, right? You have the legislative, the executive, and the judiciary. And those three are supposed to check and balance each other to ensure that there isn't disproportionate power placed on one or the other. Well, when you have, for example, uh, out of the state of North Carolina, um, a challenge saying that the legislative has final say on redistricting, for example, then what you're saying is that one leg of that stool should be longer and more powerful than the rest. That dismantles our American democracy. That dismantles checks and balances. And you see it over and over again. At CPD, we believe that the only way out of here, out of this moment, is through investment in people, in civic participation, and increasing our political power and voice. That's why today I'm out there knocking on doors, talking to people with our affiliate in, in Pennsylvania, or one of our affiliates in Pennsylvania, and making sure that through the rest of of this week, we are making sure that every vote gets counted, that people have um, the, the trust in their government and electoral process. And to be frank, to continue to talk to voters about how they take their rightful place in self-governance and right this ship, because things have definitely gone sideways. And then finally, um, Anna, Lilia, the corporate media bears responsibility because they're the ones who have the power to set the agenda. And all we've been hearing for the past six months is inflation, inflation, inflation. And this means Republicans could win because they are so much better or seen as so much better on the economy. There can be a reframing of the debate to things that actually matter. Uh, but that doesn't happen because alongside those headlines screaming up about inflation, we don't enough see that corporate profits are at an all-time high. We also don't see enough that the 
um, measures of the economy are disconnected from the measures of how people are surviving. And so it's taken as an uh, accepted assumption that in order to bring down inflation, we have to increase interest rates and we have to increase unemployment. I mean, amazing to me that the corporate media seems okay with this and aren't calling this out as loudly it, as possible. It is, it is unbelievable that the way we dig ourselves out, to your point, the way that we dig ourselves out of an economic crisis is by inflicting strategic, targeted, and sustained pain to those who are most vulnerable. I want you to think about, folks who are listening, to think about who will be the first to get fired, who will have the hardest time securing a job. And this is coming out of a pandemic where we rightfully understood that in order to counter rampant poverty, rampant child hunger, the instability of families was to move money in people's pockets so that people could then participate in our economy. We are a very much a service-driven, a consumer-driven economy. And if consumers do not have the ability to participate, then we're going to continue to see an economic or feel the economic pain. What we again deeply believe is that it is important for regular people to not only get informed about what's happening, but engage. So that means going to city council meetings, to county committee meetings, county board meetings, and most certainly showing up at your elected officials' offices. But, you know, our democracy is not a spectator sport. You have to jump in and participate. And again, the ideas that we support our popular ideas, our transformative ideas. And if we get together and raise our voices, we we can and must win. I mean, everything depends on it. Give out a website where people can find out more about the work that you do. Yeah, for sure. I It's uh, populardemocracy.org. Um, I will say that we're on social media, on Instagram, on, uh, you know, as of now, still on Twitter, but we shall see. Um, <laughs> we'll post a link but, to that from our website as well. Yes, please. And we have affiliates across the country. And for folks who are interested in engaging, we offer multiple opportunities um, in your state or very near you. Thank you again so much, Anna Lilia, for joining us today. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. My guest has been Anna Lilia Mejia, co-executive director of the Center for Popular Democracy Action, former deputy director of the U.S. Department of Labor Women's Bureau, and former political director on the Bernie Sanders 2020 campaign. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com. By becoming a subscriber, find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.